Hey, this is Amber. Today in the show, I'm talking to one of my very best friends, Melissa Neary. She also has five kids just like me, except for she adopted her identical twin girls, and she's now a foster mom as well. She is going to talk about raising a big family, the ups and downs of foster care and adoption, and the importance of finding your people. Hi, I'm Amber. I have five young kids, including a set of boy-girl twins. My kids were all born within six and a half years of each other. It's a lot of kids in a little amount of time. It has been quite the journey parenting all these kids so close in age. I've learned a lot over the years, and people often come to me for advice. But let's be honest, I don't know everything. And in those cases, I turn to other moms for their advice. I believe that people living it and doing it are the real experts. So that's why each week I'll sit down with a real expert, one of my friends, a mom like you, to get all the advice you asked for and some you didn't. This is Neighborhood Twin Mom. Welcome to the neighborhood. All right, Melissa, we have been chatting for a little bit before we pushed record. While we were chatting, we decided that we've known each other for nearly eight years now. Eight years, eight years. I had just one baby, well, one toddler, and you had just had your second baby. Yeah, I just had my second child. I feel like we were friends from the beginning, but not the kind of friends where I'm going to keep in contact with you after you move kind of friends. Not until we both had our twins. Yes, you became my person. You know what I mean. The person who understood what was happening. I, I remember distinctly you bringing over dinner and having no idea that things were so hard and just dropping it off. And I just burst into tears because I was like, she gets it. So yes, you were my twin person. At the time, we both had five kids. So 10 kids total, and we would go to the park, two adults, and 10 kids. And our kids were young because Lydia was three when I had my fifth, and Autumn was only six. Yeah, my oldest was six when the baby was born. We had 10 kids, six and under. Yeah, we would even go down to museums together, like big city museums. But I knew uh, if anyone was up for something like that, it would be it would be you. You and I were very adventurous moms. I literally had a quad stroller. Sometimes I wonder what we were thinking, but it was fun. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about your kids, though. So I have five kids. My oldest is Lydia, who's eight. I have Hiram, who's seven. And then Millie and Brooke are our twins. They are five. And Ruth who is almost five, which works because we had adopted Millie and Brooke and then found out we were pregnant. And, and our little foster son, and he turns one tomorrow. Tell me about your decision to adopt because looking from the outside, it seems a bit peculiar. And it's honestly explaining it to my family was just as hard because we had Lydia who was one and Hiram who had just been born. But both of their births were terrible experiences, super traumatic, premature births, preeclampsia, hospital bed rest, and I was not going to do it again. So most people would be like, great, you got a boy, you got a girl, let's be done. And then there's me who's, no, I want more kids. And luckily, my husband, Joseph, was totally on board. He's like, great, let's do it. And so literally the month we moved to Cheyenne, we started the adoption process with an agency down there. And I think Hiram was barely three months old. 
but I knew it would take a while. So I was like, well, let's just get it started and we'll do things. We decided to do a private adoption because the options in Wyoming, as far as agencies go, are super slim. So we were able to just choose an agency to do our home study but then you can find a birth mother yourself and just hire lawyers to figure everything out. Okay, so that's what you guys ended up doing. And now was it a two for one situation? Okay, everybody jokes that nothing is two for one, but our adoption was two for one because overall they only charged like 10% more for the second child. Because they're like, oh, we just have to copy the paperwork and change the name. So together, both of them, our total adoption cost was only $15,000. Super cheap for even just like a regular infant adoption. And for twins, it was nothing short of a miracle. One of many. One of many, yes. So tell us how you came to find out that you would be parenting twins. Because it took a long time for the adoption, or at least it felt like that as an outsider. Yeah, so we had... Seven, what I would, there's in the adoption world, there's varying opinions of what a failed adoption is, but there were seven times that I was really hoping we were going to adopt and it didn't work out. Like we were down to the last two couples that the birth mother was choosing between, or an agency contacted us and we met with them, but then they didn't choose us or even going as far as, oh, they chose us, but decided to parent. At this point, it's been two years and I was deciding like, maybe this isn't for us. We were looking seriously into fostering. We were gonna let our home study just expire instead of renewing it again, because it costs money to renew it every year. But that would be, we had just renewed it, so it'd be another year before it expired. And we decided if it got to that year and nothing happened, we were gonna stop. But then I was at the park. I can even see the park that I was at on base. And I get a text from my mom who says, hey, are you still interested in adopting? Which felt like a really dumb question because I talked to her about it all the time. (laughs) But it turns out that my aunt's best friend's little sister was pregnant with twins and they had decided the night before that they were going to place for adoption. And my aunt's like, hey, I know somebody. My niece is trying to adopt. And they didn't even look at anybody else. They just went to our adoption blog and they're like, yeah, she'll do, I guess. I don't know what their conversation was. Did you know the whole time that it would be twins or was that a surprise? I knew since she texted me that it was twins. She had only found out it was twins two days before that, though, because she hadn't gone in for her pregnancy at all. Her family almost had an intervention where they were like, hey, you're obviously pregnant. Let's go in and see what's going on. And she didn't go to a doctor. She went to like a sonographer studio. And they're like, yeah, you're having twins. And it looks like you're about 33 weeks along. It's tough to tell in those ultrasounds. Even when the twins were born, they're like, they're somewhere between 34 and 36 weeks. Like they can't really tell. They were thinking they're about 33 weeks along. And they thought it was boy, girl twins. That's what they could tell. So the birth mom didn't even realize she was pregnant and didn't have any prenatal care until 33 weeks? There was no prenatal care. At that point, she told the father, I think that night, and they decided that they would wanted to place for adoption. And that's when the next day we got a text, flew down to Arizona the day after that. And then I remember getting a text from you saying, hey, do you still have that double stroller? 
And I said, uh, what for? And I kind of made you tell me that you guys were close to adopting twins, which, of course, I was thrilled about because my twins, I think it was like right around their first birthday or thereabouts. Our family calls it new couch day because I text my family. I said, hey, the birth mother shows us. It looks like we're going to be able to adopt twins. And then my sister texts the family and she's like, hey, guys, I just got engaged. We're going to get married. And then my mom texts everybody and she's like, guys, I've got a new couch. (laughs) New couch day. And we celebrate it. We just text each other. Hey, happy new couch day on September 5th. The story of when we were chosen. Okay. So then how long after new couch day were the twins actually born? Two weeks later. So their guesstimation is about 35 weeks. So she ended up being diagnosed with preeclampsia and went in for a C-section. And she chose me to accompany her which she did not have to do. I was always so grateful that she did that. And when they did the C-section, not only did they discover that it was not boy-girl twins, that it was a set of girl twins, they were identical and they shared a placenta and they shared a sac. The fact that they made it to 35 weeks and that nothing catastrophic happened, there were signs of twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome because baby B, Brooke, was a lot bigger than Millie. She was the accepting twin. I don't know the technical terms. I was finding this all out at the C-section, but they were fine. Their birth mom had undiagnosed gestational diabetes. Brooke had to go to the NICU because her blood sugar just plummeted. But 48 hours later, they were both out. Mono, mono twins, undiagnosed gestational diabetes. 48 hours, we were out of the NICU. They were breathing fine. And They've been, Brooke actually still has a lot of health issues to this day. If someone's going to get sick, it's her. Brooke, the one who had more? Yeah, the one who got the gestational diabetes and had the more from the twin to twin transfusion. Like she was the accepting twin for everything. Everything hit her. And so to this day, she's the one with the anaphylactic allergies. She's the one who gets sick. She's the one who's had to have tubes and whatever. So I do think it affected her, but not critically, if that makes sense. Yeah, generally speaking, both of your kids are pretty healthy kids. They're both healthy girls. Your girls are mono-mono twins or monochromatic monoamniotic twins. I had to look that one up because most people just say mono-mono or momo twins, which means that not only do they share the same amniotic sac, like most identical twins, but also the same placenta. They are identical because they split from the same egg. Not all identical twins are Momo twins, though. Uh, The Momo type of twins are the highest risk twins. We had a mutual friend who lost hers because the cords tied together. There's a lot, a lot, a lot that could have gone wrong. And so the fact that it didn't was a complete miracle. And then another miracle came to your family. Six weeks later, we found out we were pregnant with Ruth, which was honestly one of the scariest things that had happened because... I was not wanting to be pregnant again. I really wasn't sure how it was going to go. My preeclampsia had gotten earlier and earlier with each child. And so they're like, oh, what if it happens before 24 weeks? I remember being at your house with my month-old twins and just crying because I told you I was pregnant and I had no idea what I was going to do. I already had taken care of newborn twins for two months and then had first trimester tiredness and no kids in school. There were five of us at home living in the winter in Wyoming while my husband's gone with the Air Force. It was actually a really, really hard time. 
you cried, then I cried, and we just sat on the floor of my basement. We cried because I knew it was going to be hard. Uh, I don't remember exactly what our conversation was like, but I do remember feeling like super overwhelmed for you, excited because I knew you wanted a large family, but also scared and mostly just overwhelmed, I think. I do remember saying something to the effect of, like, if anyone can do it, Melissa, you can do it. And you would do it because, I mean, those are the cards that were dealt to you. Like, you do it because you have to. People ask a lot, like, how do you do it? And I always think, well, what do you mean? You just do it. However, you did have some postpartum anxiety and depression after the twins were born, which I find interesting because they're not your biological children. You adopted them. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. I think it was a mixture of just being depleted in every way possible. Because after, even with the twins, I feel like they should double paternity leave if you have two kids. 10 days after birth, Joseph's back to pulling his night shifts for the Air Force. And so I've got newborn twins. I am pregnant. I'm exhausted. I have a two and a three-year-old. I don't remember what I was eating. Oreos, like something to keep me alive around trying to keep track of everybody. And add that, we went into winter in Cheyenne, which is by far the hardest part of the year. And so when you mix that all together, I was just a mess in every way possible crazy anger, barely taking care of the kids, taking care of me. I was blessed in the fact that like my depression anxiety has never been suicidal because that could have gotten really bad, but it was a complete lack of emotion and capability and literally surviving in the basest way possible. It was hard, hard, hard. You have an amazing relationship with your husband, so I'm sure he was super supportive, but how exactly were you guys able to survive? What do you wish you would have done differently? Obviously, maybe not eat Oreos, but you know, you got to eat. Now, flash forward almost six years, we take care of newborn twins for the foster care system, not newborn twins, newborn babies, and it'll happen again. So I know I need to actually let the laundry sit and take a nap. I will go above and beyond to get healthy food into my system. Not having given birth, I can exercise even the day after I have a baby because that always helps me. But at the time, It literally took going to the Air Force and asking for him to be switched to a regular job for a couple of months to get me out of it. Because then I slept, which means then I ate. It had to cascade back down. And honestly, he was on that schedule until after Ruth was born because it was really hard. So Lydia was three, Iron was two, Millie and Brooke are nine months. (laughs) And then we have Ruth who had just been born. Same thing, hospital bed rest. It was the worst of all of my births but also the best because she made it to 36 weeks, which was far beyond what I was hoping for. It was like a terrible mess to get there, but she was born. She was healthy. There was no NICU time. There's just me with five kids, three and under recovering from a C-section. You have five kids now, but then a little bit of time passes and you decide to foster. Yes. That took a little bit though, because it wasn't until Ruth was... She actually was only three. It's been two years now. But we moved to Arizona and we just felt like there's more kids for our family. And those have been interesting too, because we ended up licensing for zero to three. We wanted somebody younger than Ruth, but we didn't really care who or what age. But we get a call the next day for a newborn boy. And so we go to the hospital and once again, pick up a baby. And he just reunified a couple weeks ago. We had him for almost 18 months. And then a year ago, 
we got a call in the middle of COVID lockdown because the placement center was just full of kids, but no one was licensing. No one was taking kids because they were afraid of COVID. So our licensing worker says, hey, I know you have the car and house space. Will you up your license so you can take another child? And we said yes. And two hours later, again, I'm picking up a newborn baby boy from the hospital. They've just all happened to be newborns. And his brother's coming in August. So again, I'm going to be going to the hospital and picking up a newborn baby boy. My kids are like, where do babies come from? And I'm like, that's complicated. (laughs) (laughs) The hospital, of course. How have your older kids dealt with the shifting family dynamics and your foster child just reunifying? It, It was an interesting dynamic. Because as a foster parent, you're so proud of the bio parents being able to quote unquote, get their life together. But at the same time, you've had them since birth for almost 18 months. I would say for that first week, we were kind of all a mess. We would talk about him and cry and I'd pick up his clothes or whatever toys he had loved to play with. I've been able to see him since then. I have a really good relationship with his dad. So that's helped ease the transition, seeing how well he's being taken care of. But that is the hardest part is the reunification, right? But foster care in general is really hard because maybe we adopt our other placements, but that means they're experiencing the loss of their biological family. So kind of go into it knowing that no matter what happens, you're going to have to grieve at some point and you just accept that you can feel grief and it's still worth it. How is your relationship with Millie and Brooke, the twins, their biological family? So it was very open in the beginning. Every time we would travel to Arizona, they would see us. We did a big first birthday. We had dinners, et cetera. But over the years, it's died down to where pretty much our only contact with them right now is Facebook, but they are friends with us on Facebook. So I'll post pictures of the girls and they'll like them. Okay. They see that they're alive, that they're happy, that they look good. You can tell a lot from they're happy. So that brings me peace that if I need to get in contact with them for whatever reason, I at least know an avenue. I know where they live. It's actually not far from us now because we moved to Arizona since then. So it does bring me peace that at least it's open enough that when inevitably Millie and Brooke have questions, I can at least facilitate an opening, even if it doesn't happen. There's a lot that has to fall into place. So it's loosely open. That seems like a really healthy place to be in with their family. We're going to pause and take a commercial break here. And when we come back, we'll ask Melissa the nitty gritty of how she thrives with her large family. This episode brought to you by Bombas Sock Company. I heard about these socks on a different podcast and had to try them out. And let me tell you, I do not regret it. These are the only socks I run to in my closet. They are so comfortable. I always reach for them first. I have them in calf size, ankle size, and I also have a wool pair, which I love because my feet are always cold and I can wear them with regular shoes. My next add to cart is going to be the cycling socks. My kids and my husband also wear the Bomba socks. We're all huge fans. You can be a fan too. When you use my promo link, you'll receive 20% off your first purchase. At Bombas, they believe a more comfortable world is a better world. In fact, for every pair of socks purchased, they donate a pair to a homeless shelter. Now you need to get a pair of Bomba socks for yourself. Head to the link in the show notes and grab your pair of Bomba socks and receive 20% off your first purchase. Melissa just talked to us about how all her children came to her family. 
I have five kids and you have five kids. And I know when we go out in public, there are lots of comments. People say things or family members say things and ask questions. One of the things I get a lot is, how do you do it? I know you just do it because you have to. But since we're friends, I know that you have lots of tricks and methods. So what are some things that have made your life easier for you and your family? There was the me trying to raise all my kids when my oldest was three. That was just a tiny preschool where nap times had to be this time. I had a quad stroller that I would put all five of them in. You can do that. That's a trick. (laughs) We were very big on the snacks and I had to see people because I'm social. And now it's very similar. We've moved down to a triple stroller, but I am hyper organized, especially when it comes to meals. For instance, I do only once a month shopping and I will plan out literally all the meals for the month, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I shop for all of them except for the fresh produce and do pickup. This morning I go pickup, Sam's Club, Walmart, Fry's, and then I took all six kids to Costco because they don't do pickup. Heaven help me. <laughs> and then I'm done with shopping for the rest of the month, except for produce. That's one of the things that I do. And it's worked out really well because I never have to worry about it. And taking all the kids to the store is terrible. We are into blatant bribery. Like at Costco yesterday, I told the kids, I bribed them in two ways. A, they asked if they could wear their princess costumes. And I was like, I don't even care. Wear your princess costumes, but you have to be good. I told them that if somebody complimented us on how well behaved they are, because inevitably people say things, then they got to sleep on our little pullout couches instead of having to sleep in their beds. We got seven or eight comments. I only know that because the kids were watching for them. And about half of them were compliments. The other half were like, better me than you, or how do you do it? Or are they all yours? We get more questions based on our foster care placements because some have been our same skin color, some have not been. So currently everybody has the same skin color as me. They assume that they're all my biological children. Whereas when we've had other placements who obviously weren't, then they start asking more intrusive questions. Are you fostering? Did you adopt? Is your husband black? Like they're trying to figure out what's going on. And it's odd coming from a stranger behind you in the line at Costco, but I'm actually usually pretty open about it because I want people to be open to adoption and fostering. I showing how much love you can really give to children, no matter what your situation. You have such a positive outlook, Melissa. I definitely will shoot back a snarky glare or comment, especially if they're trying to have a conversation with me while I'm trying to get my kids loaded in the grocery cart or into the car. It's like, I know my hands are full. And if you stop and chat with me, someone will for sure run off. I have some great answers to, you know, how that happens. And I have yet to have somebody ask that. I don't know why they don't. Those are the only ones I have snarky responses to. The rest, I am overwhelmingly positive about because my kids are right there listening and I want them to know that they're the coolest thing in the world. You do have great kids. You taught me a laundry trick though. How do you do your laundry now? Maybe you've changed your system. I'm going to be so judged by our listeners, but my trick right now is I pour it in and I put in the detergent and I just wash everything on cold. I don't sort anything at this point. Once a week when it's all done, I literally will say, just grab all of your things. And so each kid is now old enough that they just look for their clothes. And then all of a sudden, I'm just left with everything else. And it's actually really easy. Do they fold them? 
or do they just shove the clothes in their drawers? They shove them. I have three drawers, shirts, pants, underwear, and bathing suits. Like that is it. And care if it's folded, it just has to be in the drawer. I remember you saying you would bribe the kids. Well, there's another bribe that you would let them stay up late or at least make them think they were staying up late if they would put their laundry away. Going from 6.30 to 6.45, even now my kids go to bed by 7. That is like one of the ways I survive because I am a morning person. So somewhere around 4 o'clock, I'm done, which is why dinner has to be planned ahead of time or else, which I have done before. Where We call them fend nights. I'm like, guys, fend for yourself. So sometimes they ask mom, do we have to fend? I'm too tired to even figure out what I had planned. So grab, grab some granola bars, grab an apple, go eat it outside so you don't mess up the kitchen. It helps that you don't buy junk food though. If I were to say that to my kids, it'd be Teddy Grahams and suckers for dinner. That they can pretty much eat outside year round and the birds are just gonna pick up their crumbs. These conversations, Melissa, remind me of why we're friends. Parenting doesn't have to be as complicated as Pinterest makes it out to be. You don't have to pick up the kitchen if they eat outside. Uh, I wanted to go back to the laundry, though. You taught me a trick about the socks. I think it was you. Do you still buy one type of socks for all your kids to share since they're all basically the same age and size? I did do that. So right now, and it's hard because Lydia and Hiram are starting to grow out of them, and I think I'm going to have to buy more socks. But for the past year and a half, I bought, because you know the socks say they're good for size 11 to 4 or whatever. And so I bought just, I think a hundred of the exact same pair of super high quality socks because my kids are so hard on them. So it costs a pretty penny. <laughs> That's what you do sometimes. And they have literally worn nothing but those black socks for the last year and a half. I won't let them wear anything else. And so then when my laundry is done, I just throw them all in the basket and we're done. It's amazing. It's a simple thing, but for me, it's been like life-changing. I bought the same socks you did, Bombas, right? That's what you bought. They're really good quality, and since they're the same color, they're the exact same sock. So you don't have to worry about matching up which princess goes to which princess and which pony goes to which pony. It's amazing. No, it's been so great. I ended up buying their baby socks. But, hey, if they're ever listening, their baby socks come in different colors, and they need to change that. You should write to them and let them know. We both are fans of early bedtimes, for our kids at least. I'm a total night owl. When my twins were little, they would go to bed literally at 5.45 at night, and they would fall asleep because they were tired, and I was tired, and I needed them to be in their cribs. But we did miss out on a lot. Now that your kids are older, how are you handling early bedtime? We're still okay because they haven't started late things. Like every church and school activity ends usually by 6, sometimes 6.30. So we've been able to stick to that pretty well. I know that's going to change soon because they are getting older Lydia's nine and by the time they're 10 11 12 they start getting all those activities so we're gonna have to push it back but I'm smoking it for as long as I can Melissa what parting words of advice do you have for me and the other listeners I feel like I had to lower my expectations and then go lower and then go lower and then being a foster mom has actually made it even lower because I feel like I had to lower my expectations and then go lower and then go lower when my bio parents, they fed them. They changed them into clothes in the right size. The things that I realize now what it takes to be a good parent, I'm like, 
I'm killing it right now. So I think the biggest part is that whatever you think you're supposed to look like, you're wrong and you should lower your expectations because literally all they need is love, food, and clean clothes. You sound like a seasoned mom, Melissa. Thank you for chatting with me for so long. and give... Whoops, sorry. My kid came in letting me know that they cleaned up after themselves. <laughs> Melissa, thank you for your words of advice. I wish that we lived closer. You always have great nuggets of advice and your product suggestions are bomb. Hey, why don't you tell everyone about those sticker things that you were telling me about? I forget what you called them. Oh, I bought name bubbles is what they're called. But I literally just bought each kid a hundred pack of the washable laundry safe, dishwasher safe name tags. And I put it on everything. So now they're never going to lose anything again. You can put them on your kids' coats. Well, you don't really wear coats because you live in Arizona, but I could put them on my kids' coats and they wouldn't wash off. They're on their shirts. They're on their shoes. They're on their water bottles. They're on their lunch boxes. They're on their snack packs. And now my kids never argue over anything because they know which one is theirs. Yeah, I color code my kids, but I am looking into getting those stickers now that I'll have four kids in public school in the fall so that we can actually hopefully get our water bottles back home to us if they had their names on them. We color code too, but that's mostly so that I can figure out, like it's an easy way to decide which kid gets which color. Ruth's always green, Millie's always pink, Brooke's always purple or blue. We make it easy. I know you're really busy, so I'm grateful that you were able to chat with me today. I feel like I learned the best from other moms and how they do things. I feel like they're the real experts, which is why we started this podcast. And so I'm grateful for all of your tips and tricks. And I hope that the listeners can get a little inspiration on how to just do it. Sometimes you just have to do it. So thanks for sitting down with me today, Melissa. And friends, I will see you next week. Thanks for hanging out with me today. If you want to hang out some more, you can follow me on Instagram at Neighborhood Twin Mom. If you want more info on what we talked about in this episode or a transcription of the audio, head to NeighborhoodTwinMom.com. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star rating and review. This helps other people be able to find the podcast. Music for this episode was composed by Cameron Norby. Find more of his work on YouTube.